eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their All right. Good morning. Afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, two sport time in Tennessee time. 2 and 0 on Saturday time. Pretty good day for the Vols time. Let's uh let's try not to be miserable time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24/7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Saturday night, which is just about Oh, 1.9 miles away from Thompson Bowling Arena and I guess 180 miles or so, 150 miles or so from Vanderbilt Stadium. Those are the two locations. Tennessee played ball on Saturday. The Vols uh, early on in the afternoon beating Cincinnati in basketball. The 12th ranked Vols weren't great offensively, but were able to uh, do enough to beat Cincinnati. And then just about an hour and a half after that, Tennessee football goes to Nashville to Vanderbilt Stadium and knocks off the Commodores in a game that Tennessee was supposed to win, and it did. I uh, thought we were going to do maybe two podcasts. Hopefully that was the one of the plans today, but the game, the, the time in between the two games just didn't really allow uh, us to do that. There were too many things to do after basketball. Couldn't really get the timing down right, so we're going to go ahead and get them both in one episode, not just me on this episode. Going to be joined by Grant Ramey in the second segment, uh, but in the first segment going to be joined by Patrick Brown, who has – who was at Vanderbilt Stadium on Saturday, no longer is. But uh, Pat, Tennessee walks away from the game with a 42-17 win over the Commodores. Perhaps not a comprehensive just d- destruction of Vanderbilt, but uh, but a pretty solid game for Tennessee, I think. Yeah, I, I think this was a game, you know, like you said, Wes, Tennessee was supposed to win this game. Uh, it did win this game. It won this game without much fanfare. It did get a little dicey early, you know, and it's 10-7. You're like, you're wondering, okay, what, what's – what's going on here. It shouldn't be 10, seven. Um, I think, I think we have to give Vanderbilt credit for playing this game. First of all, given Correct. Uh, their situation. I think they, according to the SEC network, we're playing with 18 scholarship players on defense. Um, uh, their, their offense is pretty much intact from, from what I could tell, but um, you know, they had one of their starting defensive linemen was playing offensive line pretty much the whole season. Um, you know, they probably played some walk-ons, you know, uh, just a really tough situation with that for Vanderbilt with all the opt-outs and, you know, some of the transfers and everything after Derek Mason is, uh, was fired. But um, Tennessee went in and, you know, like I said, it wasn't a perfect uh, performance by any stretch. You had a couple turnovers, I think 10 penalties for 95 yards is, is uh, might get you beat most weeks. Um, I think they were only like two of nine on third down on offense, which isn't great, but uh, defensively I thought they were pretty solid. Um, uh, Jeremy Pruitt said this was, I think their best game on third down. I think they were, Vanderbilt was what three of nineteen, three of eighteen, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you got some some good production from the two young quarterbacks and Harrison Bailey and JT Shroud. Um, and, and most importantly of all, it's been seventy days since Tennessee had won a football game, right? Yeah. Um, that there, there's some big picture questions that, that are going to be answered uh, with this program after the season. Um, but I think I think for today, Tennessee fans should uh, enjoy beating Vanderbilt because. Uh, it wasn't that long ago when that, that Vanderbilt had won three games in a row in this series. So uh, getting a comfortable win in Nashville. I mean, Tennessee hadn't won a Nashville since, what, 2014? I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about it. But Yeah, it, it, uh, it, had been a couple, it had been a couple trips, yeah. 
So, I mean, uh, you know, enjoy the win. Uh, enjoy the wins, I should say. I mean, pretty good day for Tennessee fans, right? Basketball yeah. team beats Cincinnati. Uh, your football team beats Vanderbilt. Kentucky loses in basketball. Memphis loses in basketball. Florida loses in football. Pretty good, right? Everybody should be happy, I think, Wes. As far as 2020 goes, that's like, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for Tennessee fans in 2020, that that's that. I don't want to say it's as good as it gets, but uh, might be as good as it's gotten this year, if I'm being honest with you, the combination of things that happened today. And, and for a quick recap of the game, because I know a lot, most of y'all watched it, but but just in case you missed parts of it, Tennessee did, in fact, get out, you know, to, to an early lead. Uh, then Vandy comes back. Uh, ties the game. Uh, Vandy then takes the lead uh, off of what I thought was pr- really an unfortunate sequence there. Tennessee has the ball inside the Vandy 10-yard line early in the second quarter, and then I, I still think Harrison Bailey was throwing that football. I think that should have been ruled an incomplete pass. But it was I ruled, agree with you, Wes. It, it was ruled a fumble on the field, and it stood somehow after replay, even though I still think that was an incomplete pass, um, but more on that in a second. Anyways, Vandy goes down the field. Uh, Vandy kicks a field goal. Vandy takes a 10-7 lead, and, and all of a sudden, Tennessee fans thinking, oh, no, could they possibly lose this game? Is it possible that they lose this game? Uh, they did not uh, because they they did turn it over. or not. They, they faked a punt, um, but then we had to still get stopped on downs, punted the ball deep, and then on a third down play, uh, Tennessee got every bit the benefit of the doubt that it did not get a few moments earlier because Bryce Thompson committed clear defensive holding uh, on a play, got away with it, uh, and I'm glad he did because uh, he made just one hell of an interception. Uh, plucked the ball with his left hand, and of course he's a right-handed guy, plucks the ball left-handed, returns it 18 yards for a touchdown, puts Tennessee in front. Tennessee then scores a couple more times in the second quarter. Tennessee never trails again, and on the game goes. Uh, there was one really bad interception by J.T. Shrout on a ball that he should not have thrown. Uh, so a couple turnovers. Tennessee not very good on third down offensively, but uh, did what it needed to do to win the game comfortably. And I think really in the second half probably could could have scored more, but took off the took off the the accelerator a little bit. 540 yards of total offense. Not a bad day at the office for these guys. Yeah, especially for this offense. And, you know, the second half, I thought they had a couple. They, they had one driver. They had, what, like three penalties? Um, yeah, they you know, did. Harris that, made a great play on the scramble for, like, almost 30 yards. They hit Eric Gray, had a first down run. Uh, and they just kind of stupid penalties that uh, didn't need to happen. Well, but, they, they, they were uh, they, they were called twice for a hold for, for a block in the back. One of them absolutely was not a block in the back. Um, the second one definitely was by Malachi Weidman. That one was. Um, but but yeah, go on. I just wanted to say one of those penalties was, was pretty ridiculous, but the rest of them were good calls. Yeah, and 540 yards is um, you know, against any opponent. That that's good for this offense, right? Considering what we've seen all season, and yeah, um, you know the quarterback play wasn't great. We still saw some things that uh, you know that that you know those guys need to improve on. But uh, I mean, 328 yards. I think between uh, Bailey and Stroud. Well, I think. I think Paxton Brooks should get some credit there too, but um, you know, four touchdowns for those guys. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to the quarterbacks here in a minute, but you got to see some uh, some young guys there at the end of the game too. You know, Key Lawrence hasn't. You know, everybody's wondering where he he's been. He, you know, he was the top rated guy they signed um, last December, and yeah. you know, he made a play on fourth down. We got to see Jabari Small had some nice plays. Um, they think he's going to be a, uh, a a pretty good little player, and then we got to see Deep Beckwith who. Uh, even from the uh, press box up there at Vanderbilt, looks like a very large person. Um, yeah, that, that's and, a that's a that's a large size running back at six foot five. And that's uh, I, whoever's coaching Tennessee, and and we we'll, we can assume that it'll be the staff in some capacity. But um, needs to spend a lot of time this offseason figure out how to make that guy try to figure out what they're going to do with that guy because uh, he does not move like a like a guy that's as big as he is. But you know, you got to see Javante Spragans there at the end of the game. So. Um, and Jimmy Calloway made a nice catch there in the second half too. Um, so you, you got to see some young guys and, and you think, Hey, maybe, you know, uh, some of these young guys that we've been waiting to see, uh, and maybe in Malachi Weidman's case, you, you see why we've been waiting to see him, you know, with a couple of mistakes, didn't run a great route on a fourth down. Um, you know, maybe a different crew calls that fast interference, but this one was kind of letting stuff go. But, um, you know, you, you got to see a lot of good things. And, and you know, I, I thought Tennessee threw the ball more than I thought they would. I thought they would kind of just uh, – I, I thought they would really kind of come out and kind of pound Vanderbilt. And run yeah, the ball. Four, 14 touches for Eric Gray, 13 of them runs. So, yeah, he didn't – he, he didn't, didn't – I mean, I, I would have thought he would have gotten at least 25 touches in this game. 
yeah. And, you know, Chandler had a nice touchdown run and a couple, a couple of good runs, but um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think you can, you know, you hear some people say this, but you know, it's not easy to win in college football unless you're Alabama Clemson, so on and so forth. I mean, just, just look at some stuff that happened on Saturday. You know, I think that I hear right that Minnesota had was down 30 something guys and beat Nebraska. That's correct. And then you see Florida LSU. I mean, Florida was a three touchdown favorite. You assume, you know, LSU's in all this turmoil. Reed Gilbert's leaving. Half the team's opted out, uh, and they go down to the swamp to get a win there at the, at, you know, with the wild ending there. But um, that just kind of shows you it's not, you know, it's when you win in college football, you have to you have to enjoy it, even if it's against the, even if it's against against a team that's got forty something scholarship guys. Um, and for Tennessee, it's been so long, you know, 70 days, probably felt like 170 days given uh, the nature of the way Tennessee was losing some of these games and, and the frustration of it all. But, um, you know, it's probably good for, for the coaching staff and for the players to have something to feel good about. And, and, and we'll see how, how they take it and how they build on it and see if they can uh, give uh, Texas a and any sort of run uh, for their money next week. Yeah, and I know the, the way I phrased it, Pat, was that Tennessee had a lot more, and this is the column I just posted, but I, I, I said Tennessee had a lot more to lose than to win in this game, but Tennessee didn't lose, which is important. I mean, I don't think it's something that should be discounted. You know, you haven't won in 70 days. Does it, does it mean a whole lot? You know, I, I don't – you know, I said, does it really does it change anything? No, it actually maybe prevents a coaching change from happening in this program. Um, but I think this was something that that Tennessee needed to do. I mean, just because you have more to lose than to win doesn't mean that it's it's completely worthless if you win. I mean, Tennessee had not won in seventy days, got a big win in this game, and and I think it's something that you know I don't know how they're going to perform against A and M next week. I still have a million questions, but just everything feels better after you win. You know, th- those aches and sprains will feel a little bit better next week and practicing out, out there in the cold weather. You know, I mean, th- these guys, they just – they did not expect at any point in this season to lose six games, let alone six in a row, but they did. And, and I think now that you've won a game, you can maybe get some things sorted out or at least have a better attitude about going to work. Yeah, and what do we always hear, Wes? Winning cures everything. Yeah. Um, it certainly sounded like – <laughs> Philip Fulmer was enjoying today. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's because there was nobody in the stadium. Uh, Vanderbilt's not having fans. I think they're only having like player guests. So I think, I think I overheard that the attendance in this game was 849 people, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, Man, that's that's but, crazy but, to think about. But at this limited capacity press box, I don't know if the the AD booth that, that most press box have. I, I don't I don't know if it was they left the door open, but uh, we could we could hear. Uh, maybe it was just my end. Uh, since I was down on the end of, of, of the press seating area, but uh, we could hear Philip Fulmer and Casey Pruitt. They were pretty fired up watching the game. Uh, I don't know I texted you guys about this during the game, but um, confirm they seem they seem pretty fired up about uh, some of the plays that Tennessee was making and uh, cheering the you know cheering the team on and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean you can uh, you know I don't want to say it was a monkey on the back, but when you've lost six straight and. You know, I don't think Tennessee's ever lost seven football games in a row in its history. So you, you definitely didn't want to, uh, you definitely want to, didn't want to make that history. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we, we expected Tennessee to win this game. I did think there was uh, maybe a path to Vanderbilt hanging around. Um, and, and for maybe half of a quarter there, it was kind of following that where, you know, you know, Ken Seals, their you know Vanderbilt's quarterback, was making some plays. He's a, he's, uh, a, he's a solid player, man. I, I think he's a were, solid player. Yeah, and they got some decent receivers, uh, and, and, you know, he, he was making some plays. They were moving the ball, converting some third downs. You know, we've seen some of the stuff that we had. You know, Tennessee gives up a touchdown when Tamara McDonald, freshman who got the start of safety, didn't have his eyes in the backfield and didn't cover his, uh, his area of the zone like he should have. Um, and it's probably no coincidence that uh, Jalen McCullough played, I thought, pretty decently after he came in, came in the game off the bench. It's amazing what happens when you have some competition and – you know, someone takes your starting job and you come in and you have to respond if you get another chance. But um, Tennessee was supposed to win this game. It did win this game. It won this game comfortably. Uh, it, like I said, it wasn't a perfect performance. There were a lot of things that you could pick at and say they need to do this better or why did they make this call in this moment or why didn't they do this and that. But, you know, it's a bottom line business and the bottom line is, is Tennessee handled uh, – a, a deplete a depleted Vanderbilt team like it should um and you know and won it comfortably 
Yeah, and I think obviously a lot of people are going to want to talk about the the quarterbacks now, and I think that's probably what we should focus on before we step out of here because that's you know there's no more important position on the field, and it's been a big question for Tennessee. I'll be honest, Pat. I don't. I I do understand, and I agree with the fact that Tennessee is rotating Harrison Bailey and J.T. Shrout. I'd be lying if I told you I understood exactly how they were deciding when to play who. Sometimes I, I don't really understand that. Of course, it's not my place to understand it, really. I'm not not on the team, but uh, the bottom line is both of those guys, I think, deserve a chance to see what they can – to show what they can do, and I think they're doing that. The, the problem is I don't think either one's really just taking this thing and running away with it. And if you just look at the stats, which, again, you are what your stats say you are, right? You look at the stats – Harrison Bailey, in his second career start, completes 14 of 18 passes for 207 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, and he showed some some pretty good awareness in the pocket at times in terms of getting out of there and making some plays with his legs. On paper, that looks fantastic. I I don't know. When I'm watching the games, I see some good things from him, but I also see him not making some plays that you'd like a quarterback to make. I don't know that he's just taking this thing and running away with it. And the reason I say that – is because I think, and Pat, feel free to step in here if you think I'm saying something crazy. I think Tennessee looks its most dangerous on offense when Shroud is in the game. When JT Shroud's out there, I feel like the passing game just feels more explosive. It feels like something could happen on any snap. He just he completes six of six of thirteen passes for 90 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception that was just a horrible decision to throw the ball. But I think when he's out there. I mean, they look to me more explosive when he's out there. Am I wrong? No. Uh, and here's my here's my thoughts on the on the quarterback situation. First of all, you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt. I, I was actually a little bit surprised to hear him say this, uh, as he basically said after the game that this is sort of an audition for the future for for those two guys. Yep. And, and they're sort of giving them game reps just to see what they can do and develop them. Which I know a lot of people were wondering, why did you do that sooner? Why did you make a change? Uh, and that's a whole other podcast. Uh, I, I don't think Harrison Bailey. Uh, was ready. He's, there's probably parts of his game where he's still not ready, uh, to be honest. Um, yeah, he's really and, he's he's really got to get sharper on those downfield throws. And, and, and Shroud is, you know, we kind of saw him in a nutshell today. He can look really good, look like a million bucks throwing the ball, um, but then he'll 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 throw in a, a, a really bad decision, you know, every now and then. And um, you know, do you want to live with that? You know, and so uh, here here's my thought on the. My, my, my biggest thought on the quarterback situation is I think J.T. Shroud probably gives Tennessee its best chance of winning games right now. I do, too. But I think Harrison, but I think Harrison Bailey might have a bigger upside. Um, and, and Bailey, uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the arm strength, I would say, that, that maybe J.T. Shroud does. Um, you know, Shroud, Shroud's ball. It's a cannon, you know, it really, man. It really pops. I mean, you can, you know, there are a couple throws. I know he made one. I think it was on a dig to Josh Palmer that was it was a seed. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, it, know, it, it felt kinda, like it felt like if you were on the field, you could probably hear the fizz coming off the ball on that slant that he threw to to Hyatt for Hyatt for a touchdown. That was a yeah, run. and that was a that was a great throw because he threw it before Hyatt was even out of his break, which is really good anticipation. You know, you saw it right away that you know they were playing off coverage and the middle of the field was open. Um, and, and Shroud, you know, he, his numbers would have been better. He threw, I think his first three passes, maybe not his first three passes, but the first possession he was in, um, you know, he threw a great, threw a, threw a dart to Jalen Hyde who got hit and, you know, couldn't come up, you know, couldn't complete the catch. You know, Brandon Johnson had one go through his hands on him uh, on the third down before the fake punt. And then, and then Shroud threw a great ball to Josh Palmer deep and Palmer had a contested catch, but kind of like the one at Auburn it's a catch that you know Palmer's made harder catches in his career yeah he, he he's uh, not he's, he's not helping his cause he, he's not making plays he made last year sometimes and, and that's that's the wrong time in his career to be doing that but yeah go on but you but you see you know Shroud you know throws it really hard really you know there's some pop to it but then he can also kind of drop you know the, the touchdown pass he had to Bayless Jones was a really good touch pass where you know he gave his guy a chance to go up and get it and, and Bayless made a great play on it um, you know, Bailey's not there yet. Now, if you give him somewhat of a more normal off season to get in the weight room, maybe trim some of that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe get his arms stronger, kind of change his body a little bit. Um, you know, can he get a stronger arm? Sure. I mean, I, I, I think he, uh, I, I do like Bailey's pocket presence. I do think he, he, you know, there was one third down early where he kind of, I think the word I would use would be ambled. He kind of just ambled his way, kind of backed his way over the, you know, the, the yard to gain and 
Um, he had a great scramble there where, um, you know, he, he did a good job reversing field. Look at, uh, look, look, Bailey, look at, looking like a newborn deer out there running around. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he didn't know what to do. Uh, he got to the point where he's like, all right, I need the sideline. Um, but he, I think his upside is better, um, maybe than, than JT Strauss. Uh, I get why they pulled him, uh, after the fumble, which, uh, you know, we touched on earlier, I, we both thought it was going to be an incomplete pass, but I mean, it was a really quick review. Um, and, and they were like, nope, it's fumble. But, um, he held that ball just a, a half count too long and he's got Jalen Hyatt wide open. Um, you know, he could have, he could have put some air under that and let, uh, and let Jalen run under it, and it would have been a touchdown. I mean, it was it was pretty much wide open from the jump, and you know he didn't he didn't get a lot of help from Jacob Warren on that play. But uh, if he gets rid of the ball, then you don't have a chance to get it knocked out of your hand. Um, and, and I thought at that moment that they would make a change, and um, so I immediately started checking the sideline to see uh, when, when they were coming back on the field for offense what they were. Uh, you know, you can kind of tell based on the sideline uh, demeanor, not demeanor. Um, you know, Stroud at that point was warming up. So you kind of figured, okay, he's probably about to come in the game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get why they're doing what they're doing. And I get why they're, they're giving Brian Maurer some, some snaps too. I think Fritz that he got hurt in the game, um, had a good run. I might've scored on it. I think, I think Maurer got to the end and, you know, he was so surprised there was nobody there that he was like, yeah. And, 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 and he kind of fell awkwardly to the ground. So I could see him rolling yeah. up something there. Cause he just, it didn't look natural when he fell. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you know, they're, they're playing some, you know, you know, I, I get why they're doing what they're doing and, and, you know, maybe they should have gone to it earlier. Um, but, you know, for it's after the game, they're basically giving these guys a, a look and, and seeing, okay, what can you guys do in a game? Um, will it determine who's going to start? next season not necessarily because you know maybe they bring in a transfer and, and maybe Caden Salter is the real deal um but you know I, you know at, at three and five or whatever they were after the Auburn or the, yeah the Auburn game uh and it probably we should probably point out that it, it helped that Jerry Antano was in quarantine for two weeks because yeah. you know they kind of kind of forced their hand but um at this point it would have been easy to you know after the Auburn game to say okay all right we're gonna go in a different direction um and and you know they're giving these guys a lot uh you know, giving these guys a chance and see what they can do. And um, they're kind of – I think their plan moving forward is going to be to start Bailey and then kind of see how it goes. Uh, and that's kind of what they did in this game. They planned to play JT Shroud. Um, again, Bailey was 7-7 seven of seven at that point when they pulled him. Um, and I think he was 13 of – I think he completed his first 13 passes. So Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, a lot of people were wondering why. I, I actually thought they should have made it at the time because I thought that was a bad play on Bailey's part for um, not getting rid of the ball quicker. But uh, it's like Pruitt mentioned after the game, I think Bailey knows what to do and where to go with the ball. I think he knows how to read defenses and and coverages, but uh, it's just adjusting to the speed uh, of the game at this level. It's obviously a big jump from high school, uh, and you can sort of see that a little bit. That's, a, that's an example of it. You saw it a little bit last week where – um, you know, maybe he had guys open, but the game was moving, you know, the, the, the pictures downfield are moving a little quicker than maybe he's used to. And, and those are just things he's just going to have to get used to and, and get used to by playing in games. So uh, I think that's Tennessee's hope and that they can platoon these guys a little bit, kind of rotate them in and out, uh, maybe, you know, have some success. You know, today it got him a win, uh, but maybe playing for the future there a little bit and uh, see if it helps either of these guys maybe in the long run in terms of their development as a quarterback to get them some some reps that uh, they otherwise maybe wouldn't get or, well, or didn't get in the preseason in, in Harrison Bailey's case. The, the last thing that I'll say about Shroud is that there's clearly something behind the scenes there. Maybe he just does some of that stuff every day in practice that frustrates you. There's got to be something because he ha- has really never been given the same leeway to make mistakes that Garantano was. And, and I don't know that I understand that because the upside with Shroud and what he can do with his arm, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, the guy's got just a great arm. Now, he makes, think, he makes plays that, that, that drive you nuts, and I just think that Shroud's the kind of guy that if he ends up you know, not being the guy here long term, he goes somewhere else where they just say, you know what, screw it, you're the quarterback, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to figure it out, I think he could put up huge numbers. I mean, I, I think the guy's got – a lot of ability, and, and there's clearly something going on f- f- for us to not be able to see that more consistently, because we've seen other guys make mistakes, and, and they don't they don't necessarily get the same treatment. So, 
something's clearly happening there. But I, I just think it's a shame because I would sort of like to see curi- the curiosity in me. I would like to see what Shroud could do if a coach said, you know what, I know you're going to do some dumb stuff for a while, but I think I'm going to see the other side of it. it but the counterpoint to that would be – It's his third year. What he third? Well, that one well, – that and and then he threw what 25 years 25 interceptions his final year of high school oh yeah it was his only year as a starter so you know you if you let him play the whole whole season you might you know the interception count might get up pretty high um but yeah i mean he, he's got arm talent i don't think that's any question um he's got i think better arm talent than harrison bailey does right now uh he's got better downfield accuracy than bailey does but um uh, you know i i still think bailey's uh, you, you can develop that a little bit, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that Bailey will ever have a cannon, but you can be accurate down the field without, you know. Yeah, you don't have to have uh, an absolute every, hose. I mean, I, throw I, be a tight spiral. Yeah, and, I, I don't know that Kyle Trask can sit there and throw and the ball like seventy yards. Bucks. I mean, yeah, I don't know that Trask can throw the ball seventy yards downfield or anything. He just he, he puts the ball where it needs to be on time. Yeah, and you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to throw it eighty yards. You just have to be able to put it where it needs to be, right? I mean, and and. And and in this offense, as long as Jim Chaney's the offensive coordinator, they're going to want to push the ball down the field. So, um, but, but that's something again. That's something you can develop. You can develop arm strength. You can work on your downfield accuracy. Um, and, and those are parts of the game that Bailey's missing um, that can be developed in the offseason. There are other parts of his game that that aren't there yet, just because he hasn't played very much. That when they get there, and, and for those reasons, that's why I kind of think his his ceiling um, is higher than Strouds because I, I think he might be. Uh, might have a better kind of kind of feel for the game or command of it. Yeah, but he just yeah, it, you know, I, I just think there's uh, he's going to give you less risk, and eventually the reward is going to be there, uh, and it's going to be I would say pretty good because you know if he can clear up some of those parts of his game, and again some of that's just going to come with time, um, then then. Uh, then, then yeah, you might have a pretty good little quarterback there, but, um, but yeah, I, I think both these cases, you wonder how this quarterback situation, and it's of course sort of been a saga all season. But uh, and this is this is not something that we need to discuss now. We can get into it in another podcast in the future. But you know h- how this year went, maybe cost a chance for Tennessee to maybe go to one of these guys earlier in the season when Garantano started struggling. Um, but yeah. Um, no, I, th- I think that's, point, point I think is, point is, I, you know, that's, there's a lot to be said about that. That's true. The point is, is that they've made the change now. These are their guys. They're going to, they're going to continue to go forward into this Texas stadium game. And, and if they play a bowl game, they're going to go with this plan. Bailey will probably start. They'll probably try to get shroud in at some point, depending on how the game goes. And, and they'll, they'll use Brian Maurer as sort of a change up um, and, and sort of have sort of a Maurer package where, um, you know, they, they give him a, a really, specific kind of formation and look and, and give him a couple options to read pre-snap and go from there. So uh, it worked for a win today. Maybe it will next week. We don't know. We'll see. That's a good point, Pat. And I think we can leave it at that unless you got anything else you, you need to add. No, I think I'm good, Wes. Awesome. You, y'all go talk about basketball now. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to go take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills, listen to some products and services and in-house ads and other fun things. And then we'll be back in just a second to talk a little Tennessee basketball after the 12th ranked Vols took care of Cincinnati on Saturday in the Tommy Bowl. Hashtag ad. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ad you just heard a moment ago. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, about to be joined by Grant Ramey here in the second segment, talking a little Tennessee basketball here on a double-dip Saturday for the Vols with a couple of wins. So uh, so, so not such a bad Saturday after all for Tennessee, especially con- compared to what has been and uh, what has been a pretty miserable 2020. So we have plenty to discuss there. Before we do that, though, just a couple quick reminders. One, if you could go in there and just take a second, guys, take a minute out of your day, please hit that subscribe button on this podcast. Please rate and review this podcast, whether you're listening, you know, anywhere you can cast a fine pod, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Anywhere you can cast a fine pod in the world, you can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it, but the one thing we would really, really appreciate, if y'all could go in there and hit that subscribe button, rate and review, that would help us a lot. That helps us grow this thing even more, because I look at these numbers every week, every day, and they just keep growing and growing and growing. Uh, but if we could get some more of those ratings interviews, that would really take it to the next level. And we'll also maybe do some giveaway stuff later on from there. We'll, we always look at there and scour those for some some episode thoughts, some things we can do, uh, some constructive criticism other than our voices, which we cannot change. I think that's just the way God made us. But there's a lot of things we can do differently, and uh, we continue to to we want to make this. We already really like this podcast, but we want it to be, without question, inarguably the definitive Tennessee Athletics podcast, and if y'all keep helping us do that, we can keep getting it there. Now, let's bring in Grant Ramey from GoVols 24-7's Blount County Satellite Office down there in Maryville. Grant, Tennessee basketball, and we were going to maybe do two episodes today, but the there was not enough time in between the two games. Uh, but the 12th-ranked Vols hosted Cincinnati, uh, a solid Cincinnati team on Saturday afternoon. Walked away with a 65-56 win. Your thoughts in general? Uh, in general, kind of the, the week-long view, I think you're 2-0 and after playing two really good teams uh, – not really good teams, team, two tough teams from yeah. – uh, power five conferences that are probably going to win a lot of games. I guess I shouldn't say power five high major conferences that mm-hmm. are going to win games, uh, two top 60 teams, I think in the Ken Palm ratings. So, um, just based on that, I think you, you take away a lot of positives for this basketball team. They're still making up for lost time, obviously with, with what they've gone through the first, uh, two weeks, three weeks of this season, having to sit out for the first two weeks, having to cancel four games, having to stop and start the way they did in the preseason. I think you're seeing that in their offense, the way, there's very very little rhythm, very little flow. Uh, there's not a great substitution pattern at this point. It feels like they're still in that feeling out process that we talked about after Tuesday night uh, that went over Colorado. But uh, defensively, when you're as good as they can be defensively, they have elite potential on that end of the floor. It's going to keep you in games. I mean, you saw today uh, they shot 20-something, maybe 30% from the field. They shot 16% from the three-point line. Cincinnati shot it pretty well, but Tennessee played good defense and they didn't foul. Uh, they forced turnovers that kept them in the game and they made plays. Uh, one thing about this team down the stretch, which I think is a sign of a, I don't know, mature team, experienced team, even though there's some young guys on this roster, they play through the guys that they need to play through, which is very important when it's winning time. Um, and they're 2-0 and because they've, they've took care of business in that moment. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a couple things that I think about this offense. And, and one, I, I could talk forever about the defense. What Tennessee does athletically on defense and, and the way they pressure you, the way that they rotate, the way they help each other, the way that they kind of fix it on, on those fix-it plays that Barnes calls, like if somebody gets blown by or somebody gives up something, there's somebody usually coming over to help. Uh, they play really, 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 really good team defense, and that's something that can take you a long way. Also rebounded the ball significantly better in this game than they did against Colorado. I think that's something that stood out to me as well. Um, but there's a couple things, uh, and I also really like that they, in two games now, they've taken the other team's best player and not really made him a footnote in the game, but but taken him, not let him be the the main guy. They have not let the main guy be the main guy. They have they have forced role players to step up there and hit a bunch of threes randomly to kind of keep opponents in games. They've not let the best guy beat you, which I think has been good to see. Um, but I think there's a couple different things you could look at here offensively, Grant. I, I think, and excuse me on my voice, feel free to tell me if you don't agree with this, but I, I think there's there's a couple different ways you struggle offensively. Well, three, really. One is that you just don't have good players. We know that's not the case with Tennessee. Uh, the other one is you're not running the offense right, which means you're not getting good looks. And I don't think that's really happening either. The third thing is uh, you're running the offense okay, maybe not great, but okay, but you're getting good shots and you're just not making them. 
and that is part of what I'm seeing right now with Tennessee. And that to me is much less of a concern in the long run, because if you keep getting good shots and you have talented players, you're going to start making shots. So I, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit surprised, maybe at least a little bit, but I'm not, I don't think there's alarm bells ringing, at least on this end. I don't, I don't feel that way at all about this offense because I think they're being a little bit too unselfish at times. Uh, and I also think that sometimes they're getting good shots and they're just not making them. And I think those are two problems that are much, much easier to correct than the other two. For sure. I, I, I don't think, first of all, alarm bells, no, no way. Um, check back after Christmas. If this is still a problem, you know, first week of SEC play, uh, then maybe you start getting concerned. Um, they have a lot of ball handling options. Um, I think they don't have a real true point guard at this point, which is kind of yeah, maybe they, slowing they, them down they a little got bit. Like, they got like five half point guards or five right, or six right. half and point Santi, guards. Santi could be that guy if he was that full-time guy, I think, but he kind of splits time between on and off the ball so they can have more options on the floor. But either way, I think offensively they can figure it out, and you're right about getting good looks. I think it was tallied up after after the game Saturday. I think they were 7 of 20 on layups. I mean – or to phrase it a different way, they took 20 layups, they missed 13 of them. Yeah, like, that's, that's just not going to happen a lot. No. You got to finish through contact. Uh, it's just so many bunnies and stuff in the paint right there. Now, now since, since he does have a seven foot one tower in there sometimes, right, so that might right. that and, probably impact some things. And, and some of those shots just rolled off the rim. It's not going to happen a ton. I mean, I think they'll figure it out offensively enough. They don't have to be. Uh, scoring 90 points a game. This defense, if you can score 70 uh, the way they're playing right now, if, if this is a sign of things to come, they'll be fine offensively because they don't have to score that much to to win games, to be in games. Uh, I think that's what you've seen. I mean, just look at the, at the foul discrepancy. Cincinnati had 26, Tennessee had 10. Uh, fans should be going insane over that number, but it doesn't feel like it was a terribly officiated game. No, uh, I, believe- I, I think Tennessee got the benefit of the doubt more often than not, but it wasn't so terrible that I felt the need to really say something about it. Right, but if one team makes 25 of 30 free throws and the other team makes four of seven, I believe that was the number for Cincinnati, more often than not you're going to think that must have been a horribly officiated game. But it did feel like Tennessee was pretty disciplined defensively in terms of playing pretty good defense, really good defense, and not fouling. Yeah, and I, I think someone like you know a couple guys like Eve Pons they get they 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 get the benefit of the doubt a lot of times from from officials because I mean he's the SEC Defensive Player of the Year he's one of the best defensive players in the country so right. yeah there's going to be times where he's going to get the benefit of the doubt and that's just how it goes you know Tennessee basketball for years was a team that really never got these breaks and now you get a couple of them occasionally and hey that's that's maybe life balancing out in the long run um, but I you know I, I'm not. I like the fact that they rebounded better in this game. You know, Fulkerson had 12 after getting, I think, just three in the opener. And I know his, his back's been bothering him a little bit, but he never needs to play a game and have three rebounds. That just shouldn't happen. He goes out there and has 12 in this game, uh, which was important because Josiah Jordan-James only played 21 minutes, and he's usually a really good rebounder. So uh, they they needed him to do that, and, and he did that. And, you know, I, I thought, again, Grant, I mean, th- this is something that I'm, gu- I'm guessing we're going to talk about a lot this season – um, but these freshman guards are just so ridiculously fun to watch. Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. You know, Keon Johnson, he, he, he had a couple of moments down the stretch there where he almost let Cincinnati back in the game with a turnover, missed a couple free throws. You know, he had a couple moments where, okay, he looks like a freshman, um, but then he has also moments where he looks like the best freaking player on the floor by by a wide margin. And then Jaden Springer, after playing a, a, a pretty light role there in the first game, goes out there and 25 minutes off the bench in this game, 11 points, 3 of 8 shooting, 4 rebounds. Uh, he, had a, he had a team high plus minus of plus 10 in those 25 minutes. Uh, I think these kids are going to make some mistakes here and there, but man, goodness gracious, they are one really fun to watch and two unbelievable options off the bench. For sure. The, the esteemed Mike Wilson uh, of the new Sentinel pointed out. He's, Saturday he's never we were, been called that ever in his life. <laughs> while we were sitting at the game that, that Jaden played nine minutes against Colorado on Tuesday and Saturday, he had played seven of the first 10 minutes uh, against Colorado. And it felt like once he got on the floor, he was going to make it to where you couldn't take him off the floor. He was going to force the issue that much. And when Keon got on the floor, Keon Johnson, it looked like he was at times the best player on the floor, the best player uh, on this roster. And, and they're going to have growing pains, uh, but coming out of the Colorado game is almost kind of more like wait and see. And then the first half, you know, most of that Cincinnati game, it felt like, okay, these kids are ready to go. They're not 
there's no hesitancy in their game. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to learn on the fly a little bit, uh, but they're really good, uh, really good basketball players. One drive in particular, uh, Jaden, he's got a really quick crossover. He crossed somebody up and then spun the lane, went down and finished with a pretty tough layup off the glass. That, that was, was that was really, a, that was a fantastic move. Really, and it was a, in a really big moment too. And uh, and Keon, you know, he's he's I think he had four and. Uh, I can't remember seven of seven points and four rebounds in nine minutes in the first half. That was pretty important for Tennessee to kind of take control a little bit early. But yeah, that's a big takeaway for me from that game is these kids are they're going to put themselves on the floor uh, and they're going to be hard to take off because it felt like any time Jaden or Keon left the game, you started looking down the bench like, all right, you got to get these guys back in. And what I excuse me, what I really like about that is um, <clears throat> excuse me if I can get my voice right. Can you tell it's been like a 14-hour day at this point with the voice? Um, but, I mean, you, you think about this, and Pat and I were just talking about this with football a minute ago. You know, it seemed like Jalen McCullough, Tennessee's sophomore safety, played one of his best games of the year, you know, maybe because in some ways he had been benched going into the game. And he had to – he watched someone else go out there and take his spot. And so then he comes in the game and he he plays really, really well for the most part. And And I think – when you look at what's going on in this Tennessee backcourt now, you know, it, it, depending on what lineups you play, it, it's hard to play. I mean, you cannot play Vescovi and Bailey and, you know, James and Johnson and Springer all at the same time. You, you know, you just can't do that. And every minute that those freshmen are kind of out there doing big things, that should be a pretty strong motivation to guys like Vescovi and Victor Bailey, who I still really like as a player. Uh, that that ought to kind of kick them in the spur. That ought to spur them a little bit, and they they ought to want to go out there and make plays. And if you if you kind of channel this energy in, into you know in an appropriate way, uh, you could you could have something really special in that backcourt. I think still some questions in the front court that I think Tennessee needs to to figure out. It'd really be nice to have a you know maybe a, a couple of bigs who could stretch the floor a little bit better, hit some shots. I think that would help Tennessee a lot, but. In the backcourt, man, that that should be iron sharpening iron, for sure. And I mean, even even in the front court, I mean, Rick Barnes took John Fulkerson out pretty early in the game. He said he wasn't locked in defensively; didn't seem like he was ready to go. I wasn't all that, you know. It wasn't a game where Fulky blew you away, but he still had fifteen and twelve. Yep, that's a really good place to be for John Fulkerson because of how far he's come in his progress, his evolution as a player during his time at Tennessee. Used to be fifteen to twelve would be a headline game, a career kind of night for Fulke. Now it's just kind of another night at the office. So I, I think that's good for them in the front court. And when he was off the floor, EJ Anasiki, I think he's like one for ten in two games. He doesn't have a single defensive rebound. All his rebounds have been on the offensive end. But Rick Barnes talked really glowingly uh, about EJ Anasiki and, and kind of liking liking what he's seeing, kind of uh, as he learns here and kind of learns on the go. But I mean, I think it's there in the front court a little bit, but yeah, in the back court. I mean, if, if Josiah Jordan James, he doesn't have to score a ton, but if he's not uh, setting stuff up, if he's not rebounding, if he's not kind of contributing all over the floor, you can pull him and put somebody else in. Um, if if Victor Bailey's not hitting shots like he was against Colorado, if Santi's turning it over, whatever. Uh, yeah, iron sharpens iron. That's, that's the hype video that they put out for this season. And I think it's legit because they have so many of those guys that are that are trying to fight for minutes in the backcourt. It should lead for some some pretty good basketball. I also think down the stretch it was big for Eve Pons to go out there and hit a couple shots too. I mean, he, he got off to a, a just a really rough start in the opener, you know, offensively. Defensively, he doesn't struggle. Defensively, he doesn't slump. Uh, he goes out there and takes the hard hat out there every single night defensively. Offensively, um, again, the numbers don't look great. Four for nine from the floor, oh, one from three. Still thought he might take a couple more threes, but uh, – you know, he, he's been struggling with that mid-range game the first 30 or so minutes of the season, but he went out there down the stretch, second half, hit a couple of big shots. I thought that was really good to see, um, and, and I think that's important for Tennessee. He finished with eight points. Uh, he only also had one turnover, two block shots in, in 30 minutes, uh, plus minus a plus seven, so he did his job mostly. Um, but I, I still think, Grant, if, if you're looking for something that this team, you know, offensively certainly – uh, we've talked about that. Tennessee, you know, closes the game strong, 6-0, plays great defense down the stretch. Again, defense can take you a long way. This team's going to be great there. I don't have very many questions or concerns there. Offensively, I don't really have any major concerns either. But if you want to talk about something that I think this team really could use, uh, we talked about this a little bit going into the season. I, I don't know that you could say Tennessee absolutely needs uh, Olivier Kumwa or Uros Plasic 
to to be ready and to and to play or or those two or a Corey Walker or a uh, Drew Pember, but but at least one of those four guys I think kind of needs to step up and do something. And in fairness, Pember and Walker they they had some 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 you know COVID protocol issues and other things, and, and they're not quite ready to go. Hopefully they can get going here this week. Um, but at some point, I think Tennessee's going to need something from at least one of those four guys, isn't it? Yeah, with Olivier, it's defense. Um, that's that's what when he's on the floor, that's what you're going to have him on the floor to do: play defense and rebound, and, and get the ball out of your hands as quickly as possible. Uh, two plays come to mind for me for him: Keon Johnson against Colorado went went baseline. Uh, I can't remember if it was first half or the second half. He split two defenders with a really nice bounce pass, and Olivier was right there in the paint to get it, and should have been the benefactor of it, but he didn't go up with it. He he put it back out to Jaden Springer, I think, at the three point line. And the possession ended with Olivier taking a foul line jumper when he should have had a point blank bunny in the paint, but he just didn't think quickly enough or act quickly enough to to get that shot off. Um, so that's concerning because that's what he needed to do last year was learn how to play in the paint much quicker, be ready, uh, know what to do before you get the ball, and then do it when you once you get the ball. Uh, and then there was an outlet pass against Cincinnati Saturday where you shouldn't throw it to Olivier on an outlet pass going up the floor because that's just not his game. He's not going to be that guy to handle it, and he turned it over pretty quickly. So I think that speaks to kind of where he is in terms of what he can provide this team right now is defense and rebounding and and get the ball out of your hands. And with Urosh, I think think he's played one minute uh, through two games. I don't think he played against Cincinnati on Saturday. I mean, that that tells you what you need to know about where he is or where this staff thinks he is right now. He's obviously got a lot of ground to make up. Rick actually said after the game that, um, Corey Walker and Drew Pember are cleared, but it's made it sound like they would be options, depth options. If, if COVID ha- something happens and they're really short on personnel, they got to keep those guys obviously on the end of the bench ready to go in case something like that happens. So uh, I think it's got to start with Olivier, maybe something with Urosh, and then we'll see how far down the line they have to get if they have to go to Corey and Drew at some point this season. You know, at some point, there's nothing you can do if an opponent just has one of those bonkers nights where it's making everything it, it throws, you know, it's just like throwing a, a, a rock into the ocean. Um, but a lot of nights, if you defend well, you're, you're going to end up getting good results. And, you know, Tennessee has faced two really, really good guards in its first two games. I mean, I, I think McKinley Wright, the fourth at Colorado, is, is, is one of the, the best point guards in college basketball. Uh, and if you don't if you don't believe that, just watch Colorado play a few times this year. I'm telling you, he's really, really good. Uh, and then Keith Williams uh, is a senior guard uh, for Cincinnati, a Brooklyn native, 6'5", kind of big physical, tough guard, uh, really good kind of mid-range and end game. He does a lot of things. And he had just scored 27 in Cincinnati's most recent game. Uh, and he goes out there against Tennessee, and, and Tennessee just puts the cuffs on him. I mean, he, he played – he only had 15 minutes because of foul trouble, six points on two of five shooting. Um, just, you know, he's so important to what Cincinnati does, and they just took him completely out of the game. And, the you know, big vote, the, or Vought, the, the the center, seven-foot-one, uh, the kid, they, they did not let him do much of anything either. He fouled out five fouls in 16 minutes. Uh, with four points and five rebounds. I mean, they're taking other teams' sort of best options, and they're really, really cuffing them, which is a good sign. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really good sign. Uh, Will Warren, I don't know if y'all follow him on Twitter, but he does a lot of Tennessee analytics. Good shout-out. That's, that's a good account. Good, good, good shout-out right, there. Ba- People should pay attention to him. The numbers, and he sent me this number after the game. Tennessee held Colorado to their lowest offensive efficiency since November 2014 and they held Cincinnati to their second lowest of the last five seasons. Um, I think that speaks volumes about not only what this team can be defensively, but how they're already there two games into the season after having such a stop-and-start preseason, wiping out the first two weeks of the season, being pretty delayed, kind of behind. I mean, obviously, I think the offense is struggling to catch up, but the defense is there. I think those numbers uh, are there, and you're right. It starts with taking away whatever the best option is, uh, on the other team. And, and I mean, at points I look down Saturday thinking Tennessee's playing really good defense, but Colorado, I mean, sorry, Cincinnati's shooting 42% from the field. Well, eventually those shots stopped falling because that's not who Cincinnati is. I think they had made four threes in the first half. I don't think they had made four threes in a game, you know, almost to this whole uh, to this point in the season. So, yeah, th- th- gonna, th- th- I think they got three or four first half threes from a guy who was a 14% three point shooter. Right. Eventually those shots were going to stop falling. And I think you saw that play out in the last 10 minutes. They had 
they had three points, I think, over the final six uh, when Tennessee shut them down and, and took control of that game. So uh, what they're doing defensively, assuming this is the starting point and it gets better from here, they'll be a uh, an elite team, and that defense will carry them and keep them in just about any game they play. And we'll see what, what happens going on in SEC play, obviously. I mean, it's not been what I would call just a banner start for the league. Um, Tennessee certainly got delayed but is now doing its part. Kentucky being one and four, just, you know, almost a great rally uh, to beat Notre Dame on Saturday but, but fell just short. Um, and Notre Dame kind of luck of the Irish kind of held out there down the stretch. Um, but you know, and obviously Florida with Kia with Keontae Johnson, his situation that's obviously bigger than basketball. One hundred percent thoughts and prayers there. That's just a scary situation. Hopefully he's okay. Um, but you know, Florida that you know just taking that away and just talking about pure basketball stuff without him, they're a much different team. Uh, right. and, and then you know Auburn is is not what it has been the past couple of years. You know, it's still still a decent team, but but Bruce has some work to do there. Um, you know, so there's some issues there, but then you've got Mizzou who goes out there and just, you know, shocks Illinois on Saturday, just a huge win for Conzo and those guys. That was an Illinois team that just basically pants Duke a little while ago. So that was a huge, huge performance. Um, but the bottom line is uh, there's going to be some good players in this league, but I think Tennessee defensively looks to be in pretty good shape with this bunch. Yeah. And, and the funny thing about Mizzou, they've beat Oregon, they've beat Wichita state. Uh, they beat Illinois at home Saturday night. And uh, just so happens Tennessee goes to Missouri December 30th, a week after Christmas, to start SEC play, uh, a 9 o'clock tip-off. So, I mean, that's going to be a really fun, uh, you know, jump in headfirst into into conference play based on what we've seen from Missouri so far. Uh, what what Kentucky's doing or not doing, I guess, at this point, uh, I think I saw a stat they haven't been 1-4 since 1985, something like that, uh, to be down 22 or something like that at, at halftime. Uh, against Notre Dame at Rupp. Uh, I mean, just what what they're going through. It doesn't make a lot of sense how they could be this bad. But uh, Tennessee, it's 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 Tennessee has the talent to be at the top of the league. Um, it's just a matter of uh, how quickly this offense catches up and just kind of how good this team can be. And I'll tell you, you know, there's some other teams in the league though: Arkansas, Bama, that that could be some pretty dangerous teams. I think. Uh, and Alabama, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit here, but Alabama next year, you know, Tennessee's got a great point guard coming in, but by God, so does Bama. That kid that's going to Bama is just one of the biggest freak show athletes I've seen from a high school basketball prospect. He's going to be fun to watch in this league. Um, but talking about Tennessee now, Grant, before we step out of here, you look at the schedule now, you know, open with a couple of tough games, right? Games that if you did not come to play, you very easily could lose. Now you look at the next part of the schedule – and you got Appalachian State on Tuesday, Tennessee Tech on Friday, and then a couple days after that, you got St. Joe's, and then you got USC Upstate right before Christmas. And then you come back after Christmas and go right into league play, opening with a tough one at Missouri. Um, but when you look overall at, at the next couple of weeks, this looks like a time where, you know, th- these should be comfortable games mostly, I think, for Tennessee. I need to look more about what St. Joe's has done this year. I'll be honest, I need to look at that. Um, but this looks like kind of a – uh, the next couple of weeks are times where you can take lessons that you've learned from this, these first couple of games, see where you are, and then make some tweaks the next couple of weeks because you you should have some comfortable games here. Right, you you, you get a chance to maybe catch up a little bit, and and obviously you got to show up and play these games. I think Appalachian State's four and one, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think they beat Charlotte Friday, the team that Tennessee is supposed to play to, to open the season. So you're going to show up and play ball, but it is a chance for Tennessee to. Uh, to find a little bit of rhythm, to find a little bit of flow, to find a little bit of a, a substitution pattern. Uh, uh, Rick Barnes talked about maybe changing starting lineups, trying to you know switch things up if 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 need be down the line uh, once they try to kind of iron out these roles and stuff like that. But this is the time uh, that you do it. You put those games on the schedule in December for a reason, and, and kudos to Tennessee staff for getting a, a program like St. Joseph's uh, on the schedule to come to Knoxville when they're scrambling to find opponents and to, to move a couple other games around to make that happen. Uh, so they got a lot of games coming up before Christmas and not a, not a lot of time. Uh, so it's time for them to, you know, kind of make up for the lost time uh, the last couple of weeks when they couldn't do team activities. Now you don't have a ton of practice time, but you got a lot of time on the game floor. So you need to find that rhythm. You need to find that offense uh, and keep doing what you're doing defensively because uh, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of tricky games on the SEC schedule. Who knows what it is at the top of the league. Uh, but as you go through, uh, there's not a lot of games where you, you think you're going to show up and that's going to be easy night at the office. Yeah, and as you were talking there, before we step out of here, I looked that up and um, 
St. Joe's is 0-2 this season. In fairness, those games have come against Auburn and Kansas. So, And the Auburn game, St. Joe's opened the season with a 96-91 overtime loss to Auburn, uh, and then a game against Kansas where they lost by about 20. So, um, And that was just like an eight-point game or so there at, at, at the half. So so maybe not just a complete kind of walkover there. Um, but, you know, these are games where Tennessee probably should – I would think take care of business and get some things right heading into uh, SEC play. Grant, you got anything else before we step out of here? I've never had anything else in my life. I always ever. ask you. I always ask you, and then I think, why did I waste? I lure you into a trap. Why did I waste time saying that? But uh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. I know it's been a long day for all of us. Uh, here as we just get past midnight here on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. So I appreciate your time, man. And uh, I guess I'll uh, probably we'll probably text in about ten minutes. So. See, <laughs> See <you>, man. <laughs> and you know what, guys? Now that I've finally gotten Grant out of here, thank you for listening. Let me hit that button. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm West Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govols 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govols 24-7, which isn't all vols all the time, but uh, is is mostly, mostly Tennessee stuff there, and it's updated throughout the day. All kinds of good stuff on there. But if you want the best just you want that delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water, just like right from the tap, right from the tap. You can get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get your coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball, Lady Vols sports, where Maria Cornelius does a great job covering all things Lady Vols for us. Also got a couple of forums that are open, like the name says, 24-7, where you can go there to the, the checkerboard for men's sports or uh, the summit for women's sports. Both boards also have off-topic components to them. I know it's been a tough year for everybody. Depending on where you are in the country, maybe you got a stay-at-home order. Maybe you're having to be at home because you got an at-risk situation. Whatever it is, you just you still want to you want to talk shop. You want to talk vols. You want to just get together, congregate with Tennessee fans like at a digital water cooler. We've got that for you, twenty-four-seven at GoVols247.com. And uh, really, when you look at our different schedules, just about one of us is up just about all throughout the day at some point. So you got a question, we can answer it for you there. And you can get all of that for the low, low, ridiculously low price of less than one mediocre lunch per month. That's it. That's all it costs. And it's even less than that if you do the annual subscription, which is a great, great holiday gift for the Tennessee fan in your life. And if you already pay us full price, then guys, we're going to go ahead and give you a $100 plus annual value for free in perpetuity. That is a subscription for free to CBS All Access, which is CBS's digital streaming platform. Got all kinds of stuff on there. Every show CBS has ever made, commercial free, new movies in and out every single month. Got live sports with Vols football, Vols basketball, SEC football, college basketball. March Madness, NCAA tournament. You got um, NFL football on there all the time. You've got UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, World Series of Poker stuff, all kinds of other sports stuff. All of that is on there. Plus, if that weren't enough, and that should be enough, you also get access to Comedy Central stuff on there and MTV and BET. And for the kids, you got Nickelodeon and you got Smithsonian. All of that. That's $100 annual value, commercial free, that we will give you for free. Guys, you can't beat that deal. Go take advantage of that. If there's no breaking news on Sunday, you should hear from us again on Monday. We'll talk a little Vols A&M. We'll talk Vols hoops and uh, talk recruiting, which is the early signing period coming up here in just about three days now. So tons of stuff this week. You're going to hear a bunch of podcasts, and you'll hear all of them right here on this feed. And, uh, guys, wear your masks. Take care of each other. Wash your hands. Wash your filthy, stinking hands. And uh, we will see you on either Sunday or Monday. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.